Hello, I am Rosary Pursuit. Today I'm reading Faith vs. Works by Nathaniel Turner. Ah yes, the wall of faith and works. That great debate between St. Paul and St. James, where even the apostles disagree. Surely, we'll find no common ground. I hope this is not the case. It may be said that more ink has been spilled on this topic than almost any other since All Hallows Eve, the year of our Lord, 1517. From the time of Luther up to now, for more than half a millennium, Protestants have declared again and again the fallen nature of the Catholic Church on this doctrine, that Catholics believe they are saved by works, a surefire recipe for damnation. A lot of scripture deals with this question directly. There is always a danger in this discussion that it will devolve into fruitless proof texting, back and forth until we run out of Bible passages and have come no closer to an understanding of each other. But my view of this false dichotomy came much earlier than my conversion to Catholicism. When I really began to study the scriptures in earnest, the matter became much clearer. My goal then is to communicate what I believe, that St. Paul and St. James do not disagree and, in fact, share in a common understanding that permeates the scriptures. Let me first put forward this notion logically, and then I will put up, point out how scripture altogether supports it. We know and do not doubt that our salvation is by God's grace. The main point of contention between Catholics and Protestants is how that salvation enters our lives. Soteriology, the study of salvation, is often broken into subgroups, especially justification and sanctification. Justification is the legal declaration by God that we are freed from sin and preserved for righteousness. Sanctification is the actual process of making us holy. Sanctification is from Latin sanctus, meaning holy, that is, righteous, so that we are not only freed from sin, but free of sin, meaning we are not only absolved of wrongdoing, but also never do it again. Sanctification is a discussion for another time. The crucial matter in the question of faith versus works is justification. Now, we all know that justification is by God's grace. Without His grace, that is, without the atonement accomplished through Christ on the cross, justification is impossible, regardless of what else is true about ourselves or our circumstances. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1987 to 2005. And pretty much any Protestant declaration of faith. But how do we cooperate with that justification? Why isn't it just freely given to everyone? For most Christians, this question comes down to faith. Faith is, of course, a gift of God from His grace. So it's not quite that easy to entangle. But let us try to stay focused on the issue at hand. It is our faith which differentiates us as recipients of God's grace 
Through faith, we accept the gift and we are justified. Simple as that, right? But what does it mean to accept the gift? What does it mean to have faith? Is it merely an intellectual assent? How can any reasonable Christian assert that Christ is Lord and then indulge in everything Christ has commanded us not to do? Is he really our Lord if we do not obey him? If we really accepted his gift, we do not follow his commands. Can a person offer intellectual assent at the existence and authority of a commanding officer but refuse to obey the orders given by that officer? Perhaps if the officer is corrupt or has given bad orders, would we do say this of Christ's commands? That they are bad orders from a corrupt official to be disobeyed? Of course not. This is where Protestants and Catholics fail to communicate, because most Protestants say that when justification occurs, our hearts are changed and we are made new. But as long as we are in this world, we struggle against it, so we sin and fall short while we wait to be sanctified. But we have to keep getting back up, striving to become what God wants us to be. And the Catholic Church says that when justification occurs, when we accept that grace, our hearts are changed. We are converted, literally, turned together toward the doctrines of Christ. We are set on a new path. But as long as we are in this world, we struggle against it. So we sin and fall short. But we keep getting back up and converted anew to God's way, striving to become what God wants us to be. So why do we disagree about this again? Before I continue, you may want to review the scriptures supporting this position. See the references at the bottom of this article for that. There are many I checked. Let's face it, the number of Protestants who actually advocate sinning boldly is all but negligible. Even Luther, from whom we get that phrase, sincerely believed that genuine faith produced good works. The phrase, sin boldly, or let your sins be strong, actually meant that I should not pretend that I am not a sinner, but freely admit it. Let God's grace save me from that sin by producing in me faith, which produces good works. So when people object to Catholicism's salvation by works, to what are they actually objecting? I think the Protestant objection to Catholic works comes down to two things. Number one, the Catholic Church forces its members to do certain things, and that's bad. Whereas for Protestants, being good and going to church are important and advocated. For Catholics, missing Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation are sins. And how, you know what? I work hard, I try, and sometimes I just can't get to church. What's the big deal? Well. Think about it like this. If God is our father and Christ is the king and the church is his bride, that makes the church mystically our mother. And it is our mother's duty to raise children in the faith in order to save their souls. So when the church tells us to stop sinning and go to mass, is it really any different from when I tell my son to stop being his brother and share the toys? 
It's about moral development in an immoral world. It's about raising Christian people, whether they're five or sixty-five. All Christians call bad behavior sin. Why should the church, which has the God-given authority, bind and loose sins? See Matthew chapter sixteen, verse nineteen, chapter eighteen, verse eighteen. Not do the same. So, when we don't do as the church tells us we should, we have committed a sin. That means we have to repair the relationship between us and the church and God, which brings us to point number two. Catholics don't believe in the perseverance of the saints. The phrase you have probably heard more often is "once saved, always saved." This is a very common Protestant doctrine. The theological term for it is "perseverance of the saints." That term is most often associated with Calvinism. Perseverance of the saints is intrinsically linked to two other doctrines: resistible grace and total depravity. If you believe one of these, there's a good chance you also believe in the perseverance of the saints, even if you don't believe all three. Irresistible grace is the notion that God chooses the elect. See Matthew chapter twenty-four and Mark chapter thirteen, Romans chapter eleven, verses seven and eight, Book two of Thessalonians chapter two, verses thirteen and fourteen. Book two of Peter, chapter one, verse ten. And we have no say in the matter. Who could resist the grace of the Almighty God anyway? And if grace is irresistible, then there is no way to escape it, no matter our sins. Total depravity is the notion that we are completely incapable of genuine righteousness without God's grace. It frequently, though not necessarily always, maintains that. Even after receiving God's grace, we cannot stop sinning until after this life has passed. That is, complete and thorough sanctification is impossible on earth. We cannot be wholly purified from sin. That is, if we are incapable of becoming sinless on earth, and any denial of salvation because of sin refutes the idea of salvation altogether. Since God says that He has, does, and will save us, we must not be able to. Lose our salvation. The Catholic Church doesn't teach either of these doctrines. First, Catholicism is a champion of free will. See Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1730 through 1748. Consider also Sirach chapter 15 verse 14, John chapter 8 verses 31 through 38, Romans. Chapter eight, verse twenty-one; Book two of Corinthians, chapter three, verse seventeen; and Galatians, chapter five. This is not, I will admit, a thorough refutation of the ideas of predestination, but let it serve here as a primal. Second, the Catholic Church teaches that God's omnipotence exceeds our fallenness. To be sanctified in this life is beyond difficult, but nothing is impossible with God. See Luke, chapter one, verse thirty-seven. We are, in fact, called to sanctification by Christ and the Church. See Matthew chapter five, verse forty-eight; Romans chapter six, verses fifteen through twenty-three. 
chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Book 2 of Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 5 through 10. Book 1 of Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Book 2 of Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. Chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And finally, James. Chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. We get a drink of water. Again, in the link in the description, Nathaniel Tunnel, links to Bible Gateway to all of these verses. So in case you want to read, he makes it easy. Fortified by so many and such powerful means of salvation, all the faithful, whatever their condition or state, are called by the church, each in his own way, to that perfect holiness whereby the Father himself is perfect. Lumen Gentium, The Light of Nations, paragraph 11. And how do we achieve this sanctification? Several of these verses indicate it, and the Catholic Church affirms it. Virtue is like a habit or a muscle. Only by re repetitive use does it improve. In common parlance, we call this repetition work. And whether our work is material or spiritual, it contributes to our holiness, provided we do all work in right communion with Christ. See Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 24. 127. But of course, we admit that complete sanctification on earth is at best very unlikely. Are the rest of us damned? Of course not. The Catholic Church teaches that after death we are purified by God's grace and sanctified unto holiness, that we may enter into his presence. Nevertheless, we know that some can lose their place by God's side. Though the Church has never insisted on the damnation of any particular soul, unlike her assertions of the salvation of particular individuals, whom we call the saints. How do we know that some can know Christ, have faith in Christ, and still fall away? Scripture is pretty adamant about it. Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose it was scorched, and since it had no root it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root, and endure only for a while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Mark chapter 4 verses 3 through 8 and chapter 16 and 17. See also Matthew chapter 13 verses 3 through 8 verses 20 through 21. 
Luke chapter 8 verses 5 to 8 and chapter 13. Well, I mean verse 13. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many deeds of power in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23 Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ, not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and we will do this if God permits, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, have tested the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away, since on their own they are crucifying again the Son of God, and are holding him up to contempt, ground that drinks up the rain, falling on it repeatedly, that produces a crop, useful to those for whom it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless, and on the verge of being cursed, its end is to be burned over. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 Though these passages too can be debated endlessly, I think they are clear. Seek perfection, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do not hold back, but run the race as if to win. Book 1 of Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 through 27. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Do this out of love for God, but at the very least, do it out of fear of hell, where the wicked and the lawless are burned, no matter how many times they may say, Lord, Lord. Then there are also scriptural references. St. Paul saying that we are justified by faith. St. Paul saying that our justification leads to good works. The writing of St. Luke on faith proved by action. The other writings of the New Testament on faith and works. Alright, if you enjoyed this video, make sure to like and subscribe. If you enjoyed the article, there is a link in the description below. You can follow Catholicism Coffee and press the applaud button 50 times. One, two, three, I'll do the rest later. That is all, and may God bless.